What's happening? Happy hump day to you and yours. Thanks for joining us as always. It is much appreciated. Well ahead on the Tom Curran, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft report from the other night. Check out yesterday's podcast. We were well ahead on that one. But we start today with Malik Cunningham. Cunningham is out, and I have lots and lots of thoughts. But I want to start here. I want to start with Bill Belichick's press conference from this morning. Because I'm sitting on my couch having some breakfast, and I'm looking at Twitter, and I see what Bill Belichick has to say about Malik Cunningham going to Baltimore. And I think Belichick's comment this morning exposes bigger issues about the Patriots' system and how they approach certain things. Here's what Belichick said about Cunningham this morning. Aside from trying to keep him, Belichick said the Ravens, quote, sold Malik on the opportunity of the offense. They have Lamar. Certainly their offense fits Malik probably better than any other offense in the league, if that makes sense, as a quarterback. And yes, that's the truth. The Ravens offense will fit Malik Cunningham as a quarterback better than any offense in football because of Lamar Jackson. But here are the issues that I think that comment exposes about the Patriots. Let's start with the micro. Let's start with the small stuff. It's really tough to sell a guy on fitting as a quarterback when you shove him in as a wide receiver on your practice squad. Of course, it's going to be a difficult sell, not just because of the offensive you know, mix here in New England versus Baltimore, not just because of the scheme versus uh, this offense here in Baltimore's offense, but because you brought the guy in, you gave him a, a sizable signing bonus considering he was an undrafted free agent. And what you did immediately was you put him at wide receiver. Why does Malik Cunningham have any belief that you have belief in him as a quarterback at the NFL level? You decided to put him as wide receiver. So that's the first thing that jumped out at me. Micro. Of course he's going to go to Baltimore and have a shot at being a backup quarterback maybe because you shoved him at the wide receiver position when the guy played quarterback at a pretty decent level in college. Now let's get to the macro because I think the macro is the biggest issue. When you look at what Bill Belichick said this morning about Malik Cunningham and the fact that he fits the Baltimore offense better than he would fit the New England offense, I said to myself, that limits options at quarterback, doesn't it? And this is a significant issue right now and into the future. If you want Bill Belichick, and I know it's a minority, I believe, at this point, if you want Bill Belichick to be your head coach next year, if you want that to be the case, you have to understand and acknowledge that his approach to football on the offensive side, his philosophical belief, limits the amount of talent that you can put at that position because Belichick is picking from a certain class of quarterback to run this Patriots offense. And this goes back to several weeks ago. We did a podcast on the Patriots offensive scheme and how it could be holding back many people, the quarterback, the receivers. It could be holding back this franchise. And what Belichick said this morning falls in line with that, right? He's up there saying that, we can't fit Malik into this offense as well as the Ravens can. And the, the truth is the Patriots likely can't fit Malik Cunningham or a quarterback like Malik Cunningham into their scheme 
as good as a lot of other teams across the league because the Patriots scheme relies on a pocket passing quarterback. How many pocket passing quarterbacks exist right now? And how many of those guys are actually good? How many quarterbacks right now would you call limited athletically? And so when Belichick stands up there and he says this to the media and he says this to the fan base, he is telling us that he is standing by his antiquated offensive approach. Scheme and type of quarterback. And you are limiting your options at the quarterback position because you are being stubborn by standing by a scheme that you've stood by for 20-plus years as the rest of the NFL evolves. And we're watching the league evolve. Which begs the question, how does Bill Belichick evaluate players? Are you evaluating a player correctly? Belichick looks at Cunningham, and his first thought is wide receiver. He can't play quarterback for us. He doesn't fit our scheme. Let's bring him in. Let's give him a bunch of money as an undrafted free agent, and let's throw him at wide receiver because we can't possibly fathom the idea that he's going to be a quarterback in our system. And at the very best, maybe we can give him some snaps at quarterback. Maybe we can play some games with a run option kind of thing. But to believe that he's going to be a full-time backup quarterback in this system is very hard to believe. So let's just try to shoehorn him in at wide receiver because it worked with Julian Edelman and it worked with Jacoby Myers. So, hey, maybe it will work with Malik Cunningham. Are you evaluating the player correctly? Or are you swinging and missing? Because you see Cunningham and you think wide receiver when a lot of other teams across the league look at Cunningham and say to themselves, that guy could be an interesting quarterback prospect. Do you see the difference between how the Patriots look at certain players and the rest of the league looks at certain players, which absolutely impacts the draft as well. Because when you're drafting guys, you are typecasting them if you are the Patriots. You are not as open-minded because of the scheme that you're going to run. Defensively, it's a different world. Defensively, the Patriots are versatile. They'll put guys all over the place, right? They'll move guys here, there, and everywhere. But offensively, you've got to fit that scheme. It's rigid. And that's why when you look offensively, there's a lack of athleticism and there's a lack of overall talent. Because offensively, Belichick is standing by the X's and O's and not the Jimmy's and Joe's. He's not going to go out there and extend himself for DeAndre Hopkins, who lights the world on fire Monday night. Instead, he's going to go with somebody who he feels he's much more comfortable with, and that's Devontae Parker. Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's. And because of that, you lack talent and you lack athleticism on that side of the ball, which is why you're one of the worst offenses I've seen in my years as a football fan. All of this goes hand in hand. It's all tied in, right? It's all tied in. How you look at Cunningham, how you look at the scheme, how you look at the overall offense, how you evaluate players to put them within this scheme and within this offense, it's all tied together. Look at the Ravens. The Ravens have adapted to what football is nowadays. They're one of the best teams in the AFC. They are arguably one of the better teams in football. And what have they done? Finally, it took them a few years. They were a little slow to the party. But look at what they did this offseason. They draft Zay Flowers, right? They bring in a guy who's electric. 
who, who can just burn defenses with his speed. So they bring him in. They overpaid for OBJ because nobody was going to pay OBJ like $15 million, but they went out, they gave OBJ the money, and they brought him in. And over the past few weeks, OBJ is finding his legs and has been a difference maker for that Ravens offense. They've adapted. They have Lamar Jackson at quarterback. They look at a guy like Malik Cunningham, and they say to themselves, the Patriots are not using him to his potential. The Patriots are kind of just wasting him away. Let's reach out. Let's recruit that guy. Let's sell him on the idea of being a quarterback here in Baltimore. He loves playing quarterback. He's a quarterback at Louisville. Let's sell him on that. Let's get that athletic talent into our program. And the Patriots are slow. They're slow. They're slow. They're slow to adapting offensively. It's just, it is what it is. There's another issue with Malik Cunningham going to Baltimore, and that's the roster mismanagement by Belichick. I'll get to that in a second, but first, don't forget to give us that thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Every single thumb means an awful lot to us. It sounds weird, but it's true. More likes means more eyeballs. I'm trying to survive one-man band here with the Nick Cattle Show every single weekday, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m., so give us that like. Throw in a comment. I see some of your comments. I'll get to those as well, and don't forget to subscribe. It doesn't cost you a penny to subscribe to the channel. So please do that as well. I appreciate every single one of you. Okay, I have no idea if Malik Cunningham is going to end up being any good in the NFL. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Malik probably doesn't know. He might believe it, but he doesn't know. It's not a certainty. But the problem, aside from the stuff we've already discussed, another problem to this is the roster mismanagement by GM Belichick. This is another indictment on the GM. It's, a, it's just the latest example that exposes GM Belichick and how he tries to manipulate the roster in the players that he brings in. He brings Cunningham in. Is he a wide receiver? Is he a quarterback? It seemed like Belichick never truly knew. Again, at first he saw him as a wide receiver, and that was the plan. And then when the quarterback room started to catch fire and Mac Jones began to stink, then all of a sudden, it was let's break glass in case of an emergency and start getting snaps at the quarterback position for Malik. It was wishy-washy at best. Did you bring him in as a wide receiver or a quarterback, Bill? Because what would have been fair to the guy, and this is what I said from the very beginning when people brought up Cunningham, it's unfair to throw him out there as a quarterback live rounds in an NFL game when he's not getting enough snaps at that position. During practice, it was unfair to Cunningham to waffle like Belichick did. Going back between wide receiver and quarterback confused everything. And it did not allow Cunningham to develop at one of those two positions. It's like the whole, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback, right? That conversation we have, if you have a wide receiver slash quarterback, you don't have a wide receiver or a quarterback because you haven't figured it out. The waters are muddied. No clue what they have. And the quarterback shuffle continues. Just think about this. There's been about 20 transactions at the quarterback position this year for the Patriots. The most critical position in the NFL. Many would argue the most critical position in all of sports. And you have had about 20 different transactions at the most critical position 
over the last few months. What in the hell is going on? You're picking names out of a hat. You're throwing things up against the wall, hoping it sticks. You activate Malik Cunningham after not giving him many reps at practice as a quarterback. You activate him in Vegas. You use him for, what, three or four snaps? Completely useless adventure. Then you end up cutting Cunningham. So you just you activated him to be your backup quarterback, and then like a couple of weeks later, you're cutting the guy. What are we doing? You've elevated him to the active roster the last two weeks. He's out there the last two weeks throwing passes and warming up and all of that stuff. You elevate him the last two weeks. You don't use him. He stands there and picks at his underwear and does nothing, and now he's gone. The quarterback shuffle continues. Think about the quarterback room for the Patriots right now. <laughs> Bailey Zappi is starting. You cut him in September. You have Mac Jones, who you drafted in the first round in 2021. He's broken. Mac's broken. You have Will Greer as now, I don't know, I guess your backup quarterback because Mac is probably your third quarterback. Slash. And you've got Will Greer, who you cut on Thanksgiving. Two of your remaining three quarterbacks in the quarterback room, you've cut. It's a mess. The guy you haven't cut is completely broken. Meanwhile, as you do the quarterback shuffle and you lose Cunningham to Baltimore, you've got plenty of special teams guys on this roster. Don't worry about it, New England. If you love watching special teams, especially when that special teams is one of the worst special teams units in all of football, don't worry. Bill's going to hold on to his guys. Yeah, he cut Ty Montgomery, but let's not forget, he added Christian Ellis. One special teams guy out, one special teams guy in. Cody Davis, he's still on the team. Matthew Slater, I get it out of respect. Schooler, still on the team. He's good. I get it. He's the future Slater but he's committing penalties all over the place. Chris Board, who never plays. You've got five or six guys, and I'm not even counting the specialists, long snapper, kicker, punter, those three guys. You've got five or six roster spots devoted to special freaking teams. When your special freaking teams freaking suck, while Malik Cunningham moseys on down the road to the Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely freaking brutal. Jump to some comments before we move on. Ant Jr., I'm already here waiting on this one early. Uh, right here really blows my mind. Bags waiting for you by the door, Bill. Terrence Gibbons jumps in, says, Bill's got to go. Mike Larry, Malik received the highest paid contract for an undrafted guy from Belichick, and to see him leave was a waste of time. Everything from hiding him to making him, uh, the, fifth, making him to the uh, 53. It's 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 mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. James says hello from Portugal. Portugal. How's it going, James? I appreciate you. Dave appreciates what we're doing here. Refreshing to have a guy look at sports is what a blue-collar guy sees it and tells it. Look, it's just, as Peter Jacoby says, it's just bad roster management. It's bad roster management 101. And to go up there to the podium this morning and tell the whole world, yeah, the Ravens, they can use Cunningham better than we can because our offense is limited. 
That's the truth. That's the facts. We see it every week. This offense is this offense. And it's very difficult to add an athletic presence who can do different things at that position when you are solely focused on pocket passing guy who can read the defense, do this and do that. That, that That's what we're looking at. Look at this. We got Thomas checking in from Vienna, Austria. Love your content. Austria, Portugal, the Nick Cattle Show, round the freaking world here in 2023 as we get ready for 2024. Pete jumps in and says, I'm spot on. We don't know how to develop a quarterback. And you think about all the assistants that have left, the quarterback coaches that have left, and what you have right now. Who's a quarterback's coach? Like Evan Rothstein, isn't it? Kind of, sort of. The guy who was an analyst for Matt Patricia's Detroit Lions? It's just... I, there, there's no sense behind most of this. And I hope most of you accept that by now. Really, none of this makes much sense. The mismanagement of the roster, the confusion over how to use a guy like Cunningham. He has no idea. The Patriots, Bill Belichick, they, they, they have no idea how to, how to run an offense in 2023. It's obvious. They don't know what kind of talent they need. They don't know how to develop the talent when they bring it in. They don't allocate the resources properly. They give Devontae Parker extensions while watching DeAndre Hopkins walk out the door for no reason. When when Hopkins, by the way, has experience with Bill O'Brien, it goes on and on and on. So doesn't the Nick Cattle show around the world. Romania in the house, Portugal, Austria, Romania, hitting all corners of the planet on this hump day. Hump day? So just the, the Patriots, the bigger issues exposed, I think, by this Malik Cunningham story. All right, let's jump to a couple of more things here. More Patriots tomorrow. Let's get to the Seas. The Celtics beat the Cavaliers 121-13. They're 17-5. They're now 11-0 at home. I loved Kristaps Porzingis posting up in the fourth quarter. I keep saying this. The Celtics need to continue to make offense easier. They have the talent. They have the tools. Make the offense easier on Tatum and Brown. And I absolutely adored the idea of going out there in the fourth quarter against Cleveland last night and just feeding Porzingis over and over and over again in the post, making life miserable for the Cavs. And because you attacked the post with Porzingis, you made your offense easier. You were in the bonus with over five minutes left in that game. Run more offense through Porzingis. Do it. Run more offense through that guy. Don't always rely on the pull-up threes. Not every three is equal. I get it. But when you've got somebody like Porzingis who is highly effective and impactful in the paint and somebody who is a walking mismatch nightmare for 98% of the NBA teams out there, you feed him the basketball. And I know Tatum's going to get his and he should get his. He's the best player on the team, one of the best in the NBA. I get it. Jalen Brown's going to get his touches. I get it. There's a lot of talent on this Celtics team. But you've got to make sure that you're giving Porzingis opportunities. Because he will draw fouls, he will get easy buckets, 
he will be good offense for you. And we saw that last night. We saw it last night from KP. I loved it. Now, offensively, I thought it was everybody get together and chip in. Jalen Brown had a very good first quarter. Derek White was tremendous in the second quarter. Drew Holiday and Porzingis were good in the third quarter, especially Drew. In the fourth quarter, again, Porzingis started to take over for a stretch. And Tatum, he's just so good. He just sprinkles in good basketball. 25, 10, and 5. Tatum's game last night reminded me of what Paul Pierce used to say. Paul used to say, I give the game what it needs. Tatum gave the game what it needed last night. 25, 10, and 5 did enough to help them win, certainly, while other guys chipped in throughout. JB, hot start in the first quarter. Not surprised. We see that a lot. Derek White is a beast. Derek White needs to be talked about as an all-star. He's unlikely to become an all-star because of how much talent is on this team and how the system works, but White has been awesome. Both ends of the floor. Derek White is a killer. Love that guy. He, he's tremendous to watch. All right, we'll have the latest on the Sox not wanting to spend in just a few minutes. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. More thumbs means more eyeballs drive traffic to the channel. Give us those thumbs up on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, don't forget to comment as well. Your thoughts on the Celtics, your thoughts on the Patriots, Cunningham going to the Ravens, your thoughts on the Red Sox. Comment and subscribe doesn't cost you a penny. A couple more thoughts on the Seas. Dominant at the free throw line, 26 of 26. Keep diversifying that offense. Keep attacking the rim. Keep posting up. Keep going with the driving kicks. Don't just depend on threes. And I'm not one of those guys that's all they take too many threes, but make sure they're good threes. Scalabrini driving me crazy last night. Celtics start like 0 of 9, 0 of 10 from three-point land, but he keeps telling us great threes. I understand. They, most of them were good looks, but here's the thing. When you're going 0 of 9, 0 of 10 from the three-point line, diversify things, and then go back to the three. It doesn't mean you just keep jacking them up. Celtics defense needs to be figured out. They need to be better against penetration. Too many guards getting into the paint against them the last few weeks. Defend the perimeter more consistently. Stay attached to shooters. They're not doing that consistently enough. And I still think they're two guys short. If they're not going to give O'Shea Brissett a shot, they still need an athletic wing who can score and defend a little bit, and they still need another dependable big. I'm going to continue to say it. Cornette is a limited guy, and you're putting a lot on Horford. You're putting a lot on Porzingis. So I'd like them to add another wing, an athletic guy who can defend a little bit, and a four-slash-five. I know P.J. Tucker might be out there soon enough. I don't know how much he has left, but somebody like that, somebody that would have been the Grant Williams, that's what they need. All right, before we get to the Red Sox, UB Trippin says Bill Belichick is the worst GM ever. It's very difficult to argue that Bill Belichick has been one of the worst GMs in football over the past six, seven years. It's very hard to argue. It's very hard to debate against that point. He's been brutal. The draft has stunk. He has been so bad. We talked about it at length going back a few weeks ago. The drafts that Belichick has had from 2015 to 2022. I suggest you go listen to that podcast. We go in-depth 
on how bad Belichick has been. Because even if you think Belichick's been bad at the draft, trust me, he probably is worse than you thought from 2015 to 2022. The mismanagement of the roster, the bad drafting, offensively, just unbelievable misses time and time again. And his draft record, by the way, even on the defensive side of the ball from 2015 to 2022 wasn't good. The overall draft process has stunk. So this is what happens. This is where we are. All right, let's jump to the Red Sox for a few minutes here before we say goodbye. John Heyman, uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, reporting that the Red Sox are not in the top three for uh, Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto, but uh, it didn't get much better yesterday. Early on, there was uh, Mark Feinsand, who wrote at MLB.com, the Cubs and Red Sox also expected to take their shot at Yamamoto, and here's the killer. Though neither is likely to get involved in a bidding war if the Yankees and Mets try to one-up each other, as many expect. Isn't a bidding war the premise? When a superstar like Yamamoto gets posted, don't we all know that there's going to be some kind of bidding war? So you're going to go after Yamamoto, if this is true. You're going to go after Yamamoto, but you're not willing to get into a bidding war. I mean, you don't go shopping for a Bentley if you've got the money for a Corolla. I don't understand this idea that the Red Sox are trying to get involved with Yamamoto but they're unwilling to spend at the top of the market. They're unwilling to get into a bidding war. Then why even show up to the dealership if you ain't got the Scott Ole to spend or you don't want to spend the Scott Ole because we know the Red Sox and John Henry have the money to do it. What's the point? Again, you're shopping for a Bentley with Corolla money in your back pocket. I just, I don't understand that idea. And there's no excuse for this. There's absolutely 0.0 excuse. Again, if fine sand is correct, because there is a devil's advocate position here that I will share with you in a minute or two. But if the fine sand report is correct and the Red Sox are unwilling to get into a bidding war for Yamamoto, there's no excuse for that. Your top need is an ace. The top prize this offseason in that category is Yamamoto. So it's your top need. He's the top prize. You are a top 10 market. So it makes no sense. You're getting involved with Yamamoto, who fills the top priority. He's the top prize. You're a top market. You have tons of money. We discussed this yesterday. You are, you are tens of millions of dollars underneath the CBT. 50, 60, whatever it is, million dollars. Under the CBT number, you have tens of millions to spend on Yamamoto. You don't have to give up picks to sign this guy. You're not giving up any kind of picks. It's just money. It's all it is. And you have money to burn this offseason. And you have a vital need. And the perfect solution for the vital need is sitting out there. And it's only going to cost you that money. And you don't want to get into a bidding war, reportedly? Do you even care about the fan base? Do you even get it? Here's the uh, devil's advocate, okay? Hear me out. Maybe the Red Sox are playing this perfectly. Maybe they're staying quiet to then strike. 
like a Cobra Kai situation. Maybe they're late waiting to sweep the leg of the Yankees and the Mets. Maybe they're just laying back, being quiet, playing it cool. And then when the time comes, they're dumping the Brinks chunk out in front of Yamamoto's house and saying, here you go. Yoshinobu, it's all you, baby. And I bring that up because Jen McCaffrey wrote about this in The Athletic today. She wrote, last winter, the Red Sox had a similarly buttoned-up pursuit of Masataka Yoshida with merely rumored interest before a surprise signing shortly after he posted. There's been some hopeful speculation the Red Sox targeted Yoshida so aggressively knowing that he's friends with Yamamoto, former teammates, obviously. So that's the devil's advocate. Maybe the Red Sox are playing this perfectly. Maybe they're quiet. They're in the shrubs outside of the house getting ready to pounce. Maybe that's what's happening. And if you've seen today, the Dodgers seemingly going to trade for glass now from the Rays. The Mets, all of a sudden, there are reports that the Mets are in on Blake Snell. Is that because the Mets and the Dodgers might know that they're out of it? I don't know. Of course, the Mets and the Dodgers have as much money as you can possibly imagine. And it's not as if they would limit themselves. They could absolutely bring in Yamamoto and Glass now or Yamamoto and Blake Snell. So maybe it's just stockpiling talent in the rotation. But if the Red Sox miss, if the Red Sox miss on Yamamoto because they were unwilling to get into this bidding war, how do you expect to get top talent other than drafting and developing? Because right now you're telling us, if that's the case, you're not willing to pay top money. You're not willing to touch the qualifying offer guys like Blake Snell because you don't want to give up the pick that you would have to give up in compensation. And, by the way, you might not be willing to go the extra year if you have to because Seth Lugo, who was another target for the Red Sox, got a three-year deal from Kansas City for $45 million. And Chris Cotillo of Mass Live posted last night that the Red Sox were one of top four bidders for Lugo. But he wasn't sure if the Red Sox were willing to go three full years. So you're not willing to get into bidding wars. You're not willing to sign qualifying offer guys because of compensation, draft pick-wise. You're not willing to go an extra year if you have to to get the player. You're aware of the highway, our terms. Again, if that's the case, if that's true, if they did not want to go that extra year for Lugo, if they did not want to get into a bidding war for Yamamoto, if they don't want to try to bring in Blake Snell because of the qualifying offer, As Amstel says so eloquently, get some damn pitching. You got a problem, fix it. And I'm not saying Lugo was anything great. I see him as a three, but he could get you innings and you don't have to roll out openers multiple times a week. You need guys that can pitch innings. You need it. You need at least two starters. Front-end guy, no doubt about it. Front of the rotation, ace, you need it. You also need a two or a three, depending on how you feel about Bayo going into this season. I think Bayo could at least be a two, at least, if he's not there already. But you need somebody to eat some innings, somebody who's dependable, and Lugo would have been that guy. Now, there's others. There are others out there, and we'll see what the Red Sox do. I said this yesterday. It's, not, it's the middle of December. They still have plenty of time. But I don't know how anybody feels good about this going off of these reports. 
unless devil's advocate, they're playing it calmly and quietly, and then they're going to attack. They bring in Yamamoto. We don't have any issues. You bring in a guy like Jordan Montgomery, and then you trade for somebody. Okay. And maybe that's the route they go. Maybe they trade for one of these young arms in Seattle. But right now, it doesn't feel great. You don't want to commit for three years. I mean, Lugo was like the break glass guy. So we'll see what happens, what the Red Sox do. Keeping my fingers crossed, trying to stay optimistic that they hold on to uh, the thought of going out there and being aggressive in bidding and getting involved in the bidding war for Yamamoto. Because if not, give me a freaking break. Sell the team. Sell the team. If that's what we're doing. All right. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this uh, show on a Wednesday. Give us those thumbs up. More thumbs means more eyeballs, comments. I love every single one of your comments. I see all of them. Don't forget to subscribe. It doesn't cost you a penny. It is the Nick Cattle Show. We're back tomorrow on a Thursday at 11 a.m. live. If anything breaks, we'll be on it as well. So stay tuned for that. Until then, this is, as I've said, the Nick Cattle Show.